All right, here we are again, Black and White Church. It's your boy, Ryan Bruchette, and uh, here I am with Colton Mio. Here I vibing am. Vibing in I am, Lord. the office send me. slash studio. Yeah, send me, Lord. We are here in the office. Not too long ago, Ryan, there was this holiday called Thanksgiving, mm. and, and I have heard recently and have now tasted... Uh, this tasted thing, and seen. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but you specifically made this dish called black and cheese yes sir can you explain to someone who is like myself mm. and white and has never had black and cheese before yeah. what is the difference between black and cheese and mac and cheese yeah i got you so black and cheese is basically <laughs> what i call uh black people macaroni and cheese it's kind of got these southern roots to it and it's it's making macaroni and cheese with actual cheese not like a cheese sauce not like a pasta that just happens to be not called the craft macaroni. powder not craft powder no none of that um, I could snort that powder. It's so good. Yeah, it it's 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 okay. Uh, <laughs> it feels wrong that cheese is in powdered form. Yeah, but and that's why it also feels so right, dude. For you, not yeah. for me, grown up. I'm changed now. I've had black and cheese. You've had it, dude. You've seen. You've tasted and seen. Been enlightened. Basically, it's a take on macaroni and cheese that uh, requires a different way of preparing the noodles and uh, kind of making the the dish. Uh, you get layers of three different types of cheeses. Uh, you have to use uh, condensed milk and eggs and a certain sp- blend of spices that I'm not allowed to tell you because nice. it's been passed down by my ancestors of how to make it. But basically, it's a bake, and it's actually um, super, super good. And every year, I make some and introduce it to my white friends out here in Mesa, Arizona. I don't have mac and cheese enough. I'm just realizing yeah, that right no. now. Yeah, no. Every time I have it, I'm like, this is enjoyable. Yeah, and and the kind that I make doesn't have any breadcrumbs. It doesn't have any sort of, like, Parmesan on it, and it doesn't include any Parmesan vegetables. mac and cheese. Dude, I've seen that's it, pasta. Though. I've seen it. And even then on pasta, that's kind of like, the pasta should be good enough as it is. That's yeah, an Italian thing. dude. Like, if you go to an Italian restaurant, and you order pasta, and then you ask them for Parmesan, they're going to be offended. Of course. Because it's like, what's wrong with the dish as is? As it is. And we so, would have added Parmesan if it made it better. Right. And so black and cheese doesn't do that. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, ask, if you have any black friends, you can probably ask their grandmas or their moms if uh, they've made macaroni and cheese. And when they talk about macaroni and cheese, they'll know. There's like a, a embedded Maybe code. Maybe we just started a whole new podcast called Black and Cheese I'm Church. Down. I'm down. Black just, and Cheese Church. We just talk about mac and cheese. I, I think if we had a Black and Cheese Church, I don't think anyone would listen to it other than maybe Kale Daniels. Yeah, Kale Daniels. You know the Shout Daniels out to Kale. love cheese. They do. <laughs> We're not wrong. I go to Nando's with Brady and he gets uh, queso dip. Uh, no, I don't think Kale's ever had it. Kale, you will. Kale, for those of you who, are, who don't know who Kale Daniels is, he's the one who com- created the little image, the little icon. Yeah, the graphic podcast. that we have for this podcast. So not only is he a cheese lover, mm-hmm. he can create cool graphics. So this is also about giving kudos to Kale Good and job, credits Kale. to Kale. Good job, Kale. Good job, black Snaps. people. Good job, cheese. Good job, Italians, because why not? We brought a pasta yeah, over. throw it in. I mean, mac and cheese probably came from us, didn't it? Uh... I don't know. At least the 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 Mac. Yeah, the Mac did. I mean, every culture got cheese. Oh gosh, yeah. I can't, bro. I can't keep up with it. I don't know what to do. Speaking of Italians and black, let's talk about white privilege and whiteness. (laughs) What Uh, a transition! I no easy way to do it. Of transitions, Um, so whiteness, Ryan. Sometimes when we talk about white privilege. And we'll, we'll talk about what that is, because uh, you might be triggered by hearing white privilege or whiteness. You might even know what whiteness is. Um, but if I say blackness, you probably know what that is. 
Um, but this is kind of followed by, well, anyone can succeed if they just try hard enough, Ryan. Yeah, Ryan. But my family grew up as poor as black families. We didn't have white privilege. Yeah. Ryan. Sure. So when when you hear white privilege, Ryan, first, kind of what? Actually, before we even get into that, there's actually something I should caveat. As we get into these more political ones, Ryan and I are not political strategists. We are not sociologists. Um, we want to recognize our lane in all these things. But also, we're pastors, and pastors get to speak on literally anything. Um, so we at the do. end of the day, since I have a pastoral degree, I'm allowed to speak into your uh, economics. I'm allowed to speak into your sex life. <laughs> Whoa! I'm just kidding. Pastors speak into way too many things, so we're gonna we're gonna try to stay in our lane as much as we can. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're reading the same stuff you guys are reading. We're listening to the same stuff, so we're just talking about how it fits in to church things. We get we get our news from the same places you guys do, unless you only get your news from Facebook. And if that is the case, you need to stop diversify your news feed, please. <laughs> uh, don't get your news from just Facebook or from reposts from fellow conservatives or fellow liberals about owning Trump or Trump owning something or Ben Shapiro pones a liberal or AOC pones someone else. Yeah. Although some of those videos are rather fun. Um, Especially if they're edited well. <laughs> they can be so funny. Sometimes when the Ben Shapiro videos have Thug Life come on. Oh, man. It feels like so off. But in some ways, it feels right. It does. Um, it does. So let's talk about white privilege and whiteness. Ryan, when I say white blessing. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> when I say white blessing, what it, what does that bring up in you? That brings up Louis Giglio <laughs> yeah. interviewing Lecrae with the president of Chick-fil-A. I don't know if you guys ever saw that clip, but basically Lecrae got tapped in to be in a Christian voice that is black and a leader in the Christian community to talk about white privilege and how it exists or doesn't exist and whatnot, right? And so you can see it now. Louis Giglio saying, you know, instead of talking about white privilege, maybe we should talk about white blessing from all the advantages that came from white people owning slaves in the beginning of America and how that's accelerated ministry somehow. We just need to frame it in a positive light. Po yeah, frame it positively. Because privilege isn't already a positive, positive thing, thing, apparently. So you have to go ahead and say slavery was Even a more blessing. positive. Yeah, basically what happens to me, and since we're talking about black and white church, uh, this is something that happens a lot. I, I My reaction is to um, just go and say, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let's define some terms here. And so when we're talking about uh, white privilege, and I've been approached about this at my church or in conversations, people have a really hard time with it because America loves to just say everything you do, you earn it and you work for it. And we hate to admit Heck that. Heck yeah. Yeah. We hate to admit that there might be advantages. Ford tough. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Ford came. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Built Ford tough, I guess. Uh, go and do your construction management. That's yeah. why. American. It just was there one. It, it was one step later. One step later. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, all right. Uh, um. White privilege. Basically, I'll I'll have friends be like, "Well, I don't feel privileged because I'm not mega rich, or mm. I'm not." Um, coming from incredible amounts of wealth or political lineage here. And and, and I just step, step back and I have to move it from privilege because honestly, saying white privilege doesn't help anymore, That's especially true. in a white That's why we need to say majority white place. <laughs> That's why we have to say white blessing. And so my reaction is to say, okay, well, how do you as a person come from some advantages in this society that we have? And then I start having the conversations about, 
okay, well, your grandparents, did they fight World War II? Okay, they survived World War II. Okay, you were able to get GI Bill, and you were able to get uh, approved for homes, and, and my grandparents weren't able to do that, or they came from sharecropping, which was less lucrative, or they came back from World War II and were denied loans. And so when I hear white privilege, it actually doesn't even turn into a conversation. It turns into, okay, let's recap this so that we can get on the same common ground because at this point in the conversation in 2020, I can't even bring up white privilege anymore. True. Um, I mean, even when I hear white privilege sometimes, I'm like, wrong. Not me. Not me. Not my family. My yeah. dad My dad barely graduated high school. Mm-hmm. My mom barely graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And my dad worked his tail off yeah. to work up in the RV industry to make yep. it where he was today to make uh-huh. the money he has. So uh-huh. when I, when often you know when I would hear white privilege and even still today, like there's some defensiveness that comes up in me because it's like, in some ways it feels like my family did earn most, if not all, of what it has. But at the end of the day, that's that's on the surface level, and we we know that's maybe not true even with some of the things you're saying, Ryan. Like there's history mm-hmm. to this, uh, but Ryan, maybe can you can you sparse out a little bit the difference between maybe just like white people and whiteness um are those the same thing when we say white privilege are we talking about all white people or are we talking about a thing of whiteness yeah when we say white privilege uh what we really want to talk about is um the concept so you can't have whiteness without blackness so just think about that for a second we've created the constructs of colorizing race um in america because now we have African-Americans, we have Chinese-Americans, we have Black-Americans, we have Asian-Americans, we have Indian-Americans, we have white Americans. Don't forget Italian-Americans. Italian-Americans, which you. you've got more to say on that. <laughs> um, and, and so when we talk about the idea of white people individually being privileged versus this idea of whiteness, we do actually have to separate them. Um, because whiteness has kind of taken on its own form as this other construct that really has to do with advantage or power. And then white people don't always consciously or or try to play into that system of power that makes up these this kind of like nebulous thing of whiteness. And so uh, whiteness had to become created. It had to become a thing that was earned. It had to become a thing that would uh, claim your identity so that you would have certain types of advantages in the beginnings of the American experiment. Anglo-Saxon was the dominant ethnicity in the beginning. And then uh, then you would add Irish into that eventually, and then eventually Italian. Colton's going to talk more about that. But they had to create this idea of white in order to justify, again, like we talked about in previous episodes, being against blackness or being against natives or being against other sorts of races that were constructed. Uh, because, again, it's about power. So when we talk about white privilege, we're talking about this concept of whiteness is how it how does it relate to the advantage of power and, and who gets to make decisions and how who gets the economy who gets the politics who gets to decide what happens for a nation well and sometimes when we even in this podcast just so our listeners know we're, we're kind of focusing in on this black white binary uh-huh. we're not trying to exclude other minorities experiences we're not trying to say they they don't matter or they're not important or they're not experiencing anything. but in america they we've kind of set up this black white binary where for the most part we have kind of relegated <clears throat> i'm going to talk about this more as we get going, but we kind of relegated everything under white and blackness. Mm-hmm. And really it started with blackness and then whiteness is the opposite of that. And it's the good version of that. And then everyone in the middle got moved closer to whiteness if they were gaining status or closer to blackness if we wanted to oppress them more. Right. And so again, it's a, it's power. It's not just talking about like a color. 
So even Colton saying being able to move something towards whiteness or move something towards blackness, that <clears throat> in and of itself has to become a a concept there. Yeah. So whiteness is a concept, not necessarily white people. Yeah, and we're white white people. Yeah, <laughs> white people. People <laughs> sad. Um, Twitch. So I think it might be safe to say, um, or fair to say, at least in our perspective, that maybe not all white people, every single white person has white privilege. Just like not all black people might be as impacted by white privilege as other black people. Right. Put me on a scale. I'm Ryan Bruchette. My dad made over $100,000 a year working as a union electrician in New York City. We were able to move out to Mesa, Arizona in 1997 and buy a house for $180,000. I grew up in a middle class neighborhood and even my income still technically is part of the middle class bracket. I have a lot more privilege, mobility, access. I have a master's degree. Uh, than a lot of black people in the inner city. But my parents specifically decided to move me out of Brooklyn, New York uh, to do that, to put me into a place with better schooling and better education systems around it so that I could advance more. So I'm still black, but on the privilege scale, on the continuum, I am a lot more privileged than a lot of my black brothers and sisters in America, I believe. And even less privileged than some that are more Ivy League or uh, have old money, I guess you could say. Yeah. And so we're just here to call out that there is a difference between black and white. Obviously, we said that multiple times. That historically, white people have had privileges that black people have not. Yep. And we, you know that. That's just that's, historical fact. That's fact. So we're, we're viewing this in large scale. We're not talking about individuals. We're not going to go down the line and work through every person in Mesa, Arizona, or Seattle, Washington, and talk about how much privilege they have or right. how much they're not. We're not here to say that by essence or by virtue of being white, therefore you are bad, or therefore you should give up everything more than everyone else. Yeah. We're just here to talk... You know, on a large scale with whiteness, with blackness, there's just certain things in whiteness culture that has put blackness or black people through that white people have not had to deal with or have given them advantages that black people have not maybe all had. Um, and so when we when we talk about these things, I think, Ryan, it might be helpful first to just show where race came from, because I think someone listening might not even understand that race itself was kind of put in place to oppress black people in a sense, to prop up white privilege. Like, race wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for the sake of white privilege. So, Ryan, could you could you explain maybe, like, kind of where race come fr- came from and, and kind of how it was constructed to benefit white people? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned this a little bit in our last episode, but we'll go back over it again. Um, race was constructed in the 1400s by the Portuguese. Uh, so we have this, like, Western expansion from uh, Western Europe just kind of, like, f- took over the known world between the 14 and like 1900 somehow. Uh, and so colonialism and, and driving through, or sorry, uh, exploring and, and I guess sailing across the world. Uh, you had to, you sailing had across the ocean blue, the ocean blue. Yes. <laughs> In 1942. Nope. Oh. 1492. Oh my God. Is that uh, my Columbus? School, my high school teachers, yeah, Christopher Columbus. He's oh, an Italian, man. Italian man. I don't know what is up with his last name, Columbus. Yeah, I mean, it should be Columbus O or uh, something. Columbus C. Yeah. But there's something wrong. I need to investigate that. Um, Please sorry. do. I'm sorry I'm not prepared for this episode to talk about Columbus. That's okay. Race was constructed essentially by the Portuguese. Nice. And what you do is... Thanks, Portuguese. Look up Gerardo Zurara. I mentioned him in our last episode. Thanks, Gerardo. <laughs> and what you did Thanks, was... Thanks, Obama. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a loose You're one. You're on one right now. <laughs> I'm a loose one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and basically what you did was he, he colonized uh, certain types of uh, um, West African countries nice. in order to 
basically get from warlords and, and various other tribes who captured other tribes because tribal warfare happens in pretty much any nation on the planet ever. It always has been. We always do that. That's what humans do. We tribe up Not and fight here. each other. We don't have civil wars in America. Not in America. And, and whiteness was created against blackness because you had to justify making other uh, humans that look different than you into slaves, into being something subhuman. Um, and so that was labeled as black. Mm-hmm. And and that was a lot of the West African slave trade, which eventually turned into the transatlantic slave trade. Blackness and whiteness was created. And so white people were the ones who were enslaving and black people were the ones who were enslaved. They were no longer Nigerian. They were no longer yeah. uh, Sierra Leonean. They were no longer Gambian. They were now just black. You were no longer Anglo-Saxon anymore or, or Portuguese. You became white. Europeans became that over time. And so there it is, just like there's with black people. There's now white people. But... What happened was because of the slave trade system and because of the economic advancement and, and uh, takeover of Western Europe's expansion, this slave labor is always used to prop up those who own the slaves. That's just what it was uh, for all the known world. That's what slavery is. Use people's bodies and livelihoods in order to prop yourself up. And mm-hmm. that's how whiteness became the thing that was being served by mm-hmm. blackness. Which then goes to say that maybe whiteness in itself <clears throat> blackness inherently leads towards white privilege because yeah. the whole starting point was race was invented mm-hmm. because beforehand you used to like you know the french thought the germans were stupid yep so there was always like ethnicism yes but what happens if the french wanted to think wanted to take over everyone and not just the germans and they didn't want to like go through and like dehumanize every single group and they want to just do it in one sweeping stroke mm-hmm. you got to find one category to throw them all under yeah, so it makes the, it way easier. So in West Africa, when before you could say, oh, the Gambians mm-hmm. maybe aren't intelligent, so we're going to use them as slaves or whatever mm-hmm. you want to say. But then it's like, well, we also want the Sierra Leone people. We mm-hmm. also want the Ghanans. Yep. And so how do we do this? And it's, in some ways, it's kind of lazy. It's like, how do we just kind of throw a broad term over them to mm-hmm. dehumanize them all mm-hmm. so that we can justify this? Because even before, I mean, talked about this, Western Europe actually had a pretty high view of Africans, especially North Africans from mm-hmm. like Egypt is where modern, a lot of modern medicine came from. Mm-hmm. Um, the so many different yeah. things. But when the slave trade happened, racism followed. It wasn't that racism started and then slavery happened. It was that slavery happened and racism followed. You had to construct it. Um, which therefore, when we think of race, it, it always, at least at the start, was used to prop up whiteness. And so when, when we think about even race in general... Um, America has a preference towards whiteness, or at least historically had, but it was actually just a certain kind of whiteness. Um, it was mostly for Anglo-Saxons, basically mm-hmm. Western, yeah, or Western, Britain. maybe a little bit of the Nordics yeah. as well. Um, but it wasn't towards some of the other white people. And so this is where I want to like, camp out some time, because I think it's helpful to know not only was whiteness erected to put over blackness, but it also was kind of an exclusive boys club. Um, for a little bit there you kind of had to earn your whiteness and there's books on this about different immigrant groups owning like earning their whiteness um at one point the japanese tried to prove that they were caucasian uh like some japanese americans were basically saying hey we have some lighter features we should be included in the white privileges that you guys have because some of our systems and codes were according to skin color and race i mean even into the 1920s we had about four to 24 different characterizations of race so it wasn't just white, black, brown, whatever. Um, we haven't really had a consensus for a while. And so because that's kind of a moving target, there was room for minority groups or for immigrant groups to try to argue for their whiteness. And so we had the Japanese trying to argue for their whiteness, Japanese-Americans. 
Um, and then we had uh, Indians uh, from India, not Native Americans. Like East India. Yeah. Okay. Um, they, they were also pretty successful for a period of time in trying to prove their whiteness. Um, at one point in time, there was an Indian man who actually argued in front of the courts for his whiteness. Wow. And he was actually successful at first. Um, they originally ruled and gave him kind of the privileges and status of a white man. But then with a few years, reversed it because um, they realized the ramifications <laughs> of incorporating an Indian man into whiteness, what that might mean for future immigrants and how they might divvy out different different kind of responsibilities, things like that. So throughout time in America, for the most part, these different immigrant communities, whether they were Japanese Americans, Indian Americans, um, the Irish, had to spend a lot of time trying to argue for their whiteness. And so I want to talk about Sicilians because that is my heritage and talk about whiteness. So originally Italians, when we first got here, no one really liked us <laughs> for the most part. Uh, we were kind of viewed as these almost like slum people. A lot of them were coming from Southern Italy, not in the Northern Italians didn't come over because they were the wealthy part. The Southern Italians came over for, for kind of a better shot. Um, and so we weren't really liked. And especially when we got here, since we didn't know the language, um, we were kind of relegated to really crappy jobs. So actually Italians and black people we're probably one of the first white and black to really integrate um, because Italians started taking jobs in the South on like plantations. Um, and they were actually living among black people, um, which was kind of unheard of for a time. Um, that didn't stay that way. And I'll explain a little bit more. So basically Italians were trying, were basically were degraded um, to a status of like black blackness, not quite black, but almost black. So again, if you guys have been, been paying attention, there's this like idea of whiteness that you got moved into, mm-hmm. not just, Oh, your skin means you're white. It's like, no, there's a There wasn't a middle category. Right. So they, they had to push you closer to one end or the other. Yeah. And they didn't like want them a part of the whites because Italians were a little bit darker, Southern Italians a little bit darker. Um, and, and they like themselves, foreign. right? I mean, Italians, <laughs> I don't know very many Italians very, who don't like being very Italian. Very proud of their culture. Well, actually think, if you think of, well, I'll get into more of Italian stuff here, but when you think of like Irish Americans and Italian Americans, they're pretty loud about being Irish and Italian. Hmm. Just like some, I think some black people are pretty loud about being black. Yeah. And I think the reason is actually because the white culture didn't embrace them mm. and didn't accept them, they formed their own communities and held on to their cultural heritage. Yeah. That makes um, sense. And founded, it's almost like a F you, I'm going to find like pride mm-hmm. in where I come from. Right. And that's why you'll, you won't meet a single Italian who is not proud of being Italian. It's actually probably the favorite white person thing to claim that they're off white. Like of uh, white ethnicity. Yeah, that's because true. I'm not white. I'm Italian. You don't want to oh, be white anymore. Man, I've heard that so many times growing white, up. Being by white, white isn't good. So, so when you find out you're Italian, it's like it's still good because it's white. So you like it's like you're off white because it's like if you find out you have a little bit of like people love finding out they're two percent black, but they won't ever like say I'm black. But they find out they're five percent Italian. It's like I'm Italian because <laughs> uh, it's far enough removed from whiteness yeah. that you're not as bad as the other white people, but it's not as bad as going the full way over. Dude, that's just my theory. It's crazy. Anyway, Italians were actually called guineas and dagos, um, which were two slurs actually used against black people. So they didn't originate with Italians. There was like other Italian terms like wops, um, which meant without papers. So that was like an immigrant insult. Oh, wow. But other white people called them guineas um, because actually black people were called guineas for a period. Like because New Guinea. Exactly. Guinea, Guinea, not Mm -hmm. New Guinea, but Mm -hmm. Guinea. Okay, yeah. And so they called us Guineas because we were dark. Yeah. um, Like our our black friends. And they also called us the N-word with WAP attached to it. So in the same way with some uh, Middle Eastern people and how Americans might call them sand N-words. Oh, boy. Yeah. um, They called Italians N-word WAPs or white N-words. 
So they they show that there was they were differentiated off of black. They weren't saying they're full on black, but they used the slur that they would call black to people still to push them down. Them down. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so oftentimes, even in churches, like we would have to sit in pews reserved only for black people because we didn't have our whiteness. Um, we often even married black people because they accepted us more than white folk did, which might explain some of my features. That <laughs> might explain some of my grandpa, honestly, because he looks Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. I'm not even kidding. If you put a chain on him, I thought he was Italian, but yeah. he might be Spanish. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a chance in America, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 23 and me uh, only go so far. Yep. Well, and because of this kind of pushing down the separation, um, Sicilians and black people, they were kind of intermarried. And so they'd often refer to us as mulattoes, um, which is basically like a derogatory term of calling us half-breeds. So they were starting to acknowledge that the white side of Italians or of mixed kids was good. But the other half side was dehumanized because it's black. Yeah. And and actually, I have a quote from a, a newspaper in the north in 1890s. It says, there's never been found, uh, there's never been since New York was founded so low and ignorant a class among the immigrants who poured in here as the Southern Italians who have been crowding our docks during the past year. My God, dude. And so because we were immigrants, because we didn't speak the language, because we had strong cultural roots like Italians do, and even the Irish. It's pretty threatening. Yeah, they didn't like us. Um, And so we found some camaraderie with black people, but I'll explain why we lost that. Um, Because what actually things started changing in the 1890s. Because what actually happened is that there was 11 Italians that were lynched. And the Italian government found out about this and put pressure on the American government to basically grant us our whiteness. They basically said, we're not going to encourage our residents to come over there. And we're not going to have good relationships with you guys if you guys are treating our former citizens like this in America. And so basically in the 1920s and later after 1920s, they started actually allowing more Italians in. They started viewing them as white. And now you wouldn't be able to tell a difference um, for the most part in how we treat Italians. You, you would think that Italians are white. Unless an Italian tells you they're not white, <laughs> that would yeah. be your presumed presumption. Because we haven't, we don't realize that whiteness was only Anglo-Saxonness. Now whiteness, all the other white, white-ish people have kind of been ushered in. So if you, as long as you're from Europe, you're white now. When before, it was only when you were Western Europe. So just to give you guys a history That's amazing of that account, how whiteness has evolved. Exactly. Um, and actually, one of the ways Italians started to gain their way in, um, and the Irish did this in a different way, but the Italians actually started to gain their whiteness because they started basically crapping on black people like the rest of the white people. So they started being racist towards black people to gain their whiteness. And because of this, they started to show how different they were from black people, used dehumanizing terms to show how intelligent they were like other white people and other white groups to gain their whiteness. Mm. So even the path to whiteness was through degrading Through degrading, because you're, you're faced with a choice here. Mm-hmm. Which I think you can even see that in modern society with some other ethnic groups or someone who's trying to distance themselves and achieve white privilege or achieve high status in society. Yeah. Normally, the number one thing they do is they degrade the black right. community. Right. Um, I don't know any political talking heads who do that. <laughs> um, so all that is to say thank you for going on my little tangent about sicilians but that's why for the most part if you meet a sicilian like true sicilians who have actually like a grandpa sicilian they really hold to the fact that they're not white they're sicilian because that's actually what they were told that's actually how we've operated the younger italians will just we've just been ushered into whiteness but whiteness has evolved so if you learn nothing from this episode you don't even believe in privilege from this episode you don't even believe in positive benefits of being white just know that even white hasn't been definitive what it is mm-hmm. other than it differentiating from blackness. Yep. So 
as we look into that, Ryan, can we talk a little bit about active white privilege and passive white privilege? And we're not just trying to murky up the waters about white privilege, but I think it's important to talk about these two different dynamics of what whiteness privilege can be like and what white privilege can be like. Yeah, and this is where I run to it often in church, in church conversations is kind of like differentiating on the ground level what these two things are. So when we think about white privilege active, you're talking about things that you might not normally get because you're being white. Um, and so basically this is something like if you've gotten a job offer because your name is Austin. John Smith. Yeah, rather than your name being uh, Leangelo or Darrell. <laughs> Leangelo, Lamar, Lonzo, Lamelo, Lamelo. <laughs> that's, that's a basketball fan, right? Like you want, like if you get drafted because your name is Lamelo to okay. play at a high school, rather than because your name is Kyle. Uh, Kyle that's active. Kyle Anyways. Guy was drafted actually. That's oh a very white name, Kyle Guy. Kyle Guy. So, so you got this idea of this active privilege is when you get a, a house loan over a black family, or Which maybe is true historically yeah, true in the 1950s. That's just what uh, go. There's an entire book about this called De Jure Practices of uh, um, Housing uh, um, Segregation, and that is from The Color of Law. Uh, that's a great book. Uh, it's dense. I'm I have that reference it. in our systemic racism episodes. So nice. There we go. Um, so basically, you've got these active things of privilege, um, where because of your name, because of your heritage, heritage you get uh, easier access to things that we typically enjoy in American society. Mm-hmm. So those are loans, those are car loans, uh, housing, being uh, accepted into certain colleges. All of that is because you uh, can use that active privilege because of a system that was built for you from the trajectory of the 1600s mm-hmm. being for white people using blackness mm-hmm. to gain power and advantage through slavery. And so when we think of active, Ryan, is, would you say that every white person has active white privilege? I would not say every white person yeah. has that because you're going to have white people that have lots of structural disadvantages given mm-hmm. their income, given where their homes are, given uh, access to political and economic uh, uh, passes, you could say. Yeah. Uh, it's different if you're living in Appalachia versus if you're living in like New England and yeah. have lots of generational wealth versus almost none. Well, and it's one of those things where when you look at active white privilege – if not everyone's benefiting from it, then this is maybe something we can look at where in history, maybe active white privilege was much more common, which is much more pervasive, which much more every single white person had it. Um, And we're just here to say that it's a little bit more nuanced because of some of the progress that has been made. Um, But it's still obviously not out of the woods because of some of the things Ryan's mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have some more facts and stats about that in our systemic racism episode about current, um, maybe instances or occurrences that seem to point towards white privilege yeah so what about passive privilege ryan so then passive privilege is the stuff that you don't really have to deal with that black people do and so passive privilege is like you won't get stopped by the police as often (laughs) yeah uh this is or ever or ever i've haven't been stopped by the police in the last six years right this is uh you you're not the one who's getting followed around the grocery store uh generational trauma and and like inequality you might not have traumatic instances of uh, things happening in your family that typically happen to black neighborhoods and households because that didn't necessarily happen to you growing up. Well, it's like Uh, if you ever grew up with someone who comes from a history of trauma, let's let's say that let's take the Holocaust, for instance. Sure. Um, Say your grandmother survived the Holocaust. The stories you inherited, the the stuff you learned about, there's some trauma that's passed on. Um, We can see this in psychology. And so then imagine you have you know, 300 years of slavery in your bloodlines. 
And then even up until the 60s, we can argue about post-60s, but in the 60s you have lynching, killings, murders, and assassinations. And then you have Rodney King in the 90s, and then you have George Floyd in the 2000s. This generational trauma is being triggered each generation. So that's something me as a white person I can see, and it's really sad, but it doesn't trigger my family tree. Um, and that I don't think people understand that difference and how that weighs on you and your psyche. Um, so that's passive. I don't have to deal with that as a white person. Yeah, and and so basically something that is really, really key about the passive privilege is just that it's something that even if you're not individually trying to do, it still gives you an advantage because of the society that you were born into and mm -hmm. the skin that you have. And so often this is where I run into a lot of issues with my friends that are white or churchgoers that are white that are saying, I don't have privilege. We're really a lot of times trying to awaken them to the passive things mm -hmm. that you just have learned to accept that black people don't always also get. And, and so for me, even the idea of walking into a grocery store um, maybe I go to the uh, hair section, right? You're going to have all these different labels for European-centric hair and all these different products. And so now you've got these ethnic uh, and like specific kind of like sections of the aisle that are starting to pop up with different things for more African-style or Latino-style hair. But you just get to walk in and see that most of this is for you because mm -hmm. you're white. And that's just it the makes society it, that you're the in. decision easy. Makes you don't have to easy. think through really hard. Yeah. You don't have to search really hard. You don't even ask the question, is there white people products on this aisle? You just get to know that. Mm -hmm. Nope, that's just how it is. Yeah. And then he, and you relate that to the more serious matters of, mm -hmm. I know a lot of a lot of black friends and even black pastors who they have a certain protocol when they see, when they're about to get pulled over mm -hmm. for speeding or something, or mm -hmm. when they're passing a cop or they're out late at night, how yep. they hold their hands, how yep. they put their hands in their pockets, all these different things that they've learned from generations mm -hmm. um, in order to not be seen as suspicious, not be seen as violent, not right. be seen as threatening, mm -hmm. um, how to talk in this way to the police when I could, I was never taught on how to talk to police. Um, all these different things that you kind of just have to pick up because you know there might be some things you have to deal with that white people will not have to deal with. And again, it, it may not be so glaring to you. We're like, well, I have to think about that too or this and there. But just when you compile all these things together, yeah, individually, Ryan having to think longer about where to find his hair products. That doesn't seem like the biggest cross Ryan has ever had to carry. No. But you compile that and compound that with so many other aspects of our society, just even of the white normativity that Ryan and I have talked about before. And it's, it's a bigger weight. There's so much more things that will make Ryan, in a sense, less effective. He has to be more efficient in how he thinks, more efficient in how he goes to the store, more efficient in how he does things, because things aren't naturally maybe more catered to his white normative culture like it is for me. Um, so again, as you think about those things, if you have white privileges, it's not like saying that you're bad. <laughs> like, if anything, it's saying like, in some ways that, you know, I don't want to use the word blessing, but in some ways it's like, that's a thing you've been given by society that benefits you it's a good thing it's like whenever we find out that there's a governmental program or something that actually can benefit you get a tax break or something like oh that's a that's a privilege that's a benefit and that's a good thing right and then you get to choose and what you do with that and so the same thing when we look at scriptures and ryan as we transition into the bible section as we want to talk about these things it's it's not that privilege makes you bad it's what you do with your privilege um, it's what you do with your advantages in life. I mean, I'll talk about if you don't think you have any privileges or benefits, what you do then. <laughs> um, but Ryan, what, what do you think maybe the scriptures have to offer um, to speak into whiteness, white normativity, white privilege, or what we even do with benefits and advantages we might have over others? Yeah. And so I think 
how the scriptures kind of can speak into this is just, um, Jesus didn't choose the story of the Good Samaritan um, to necessarily prop up how people that we think are bad can really be good. Uh, that's part of it, but that's not necessarily like the main point. What we're what we're seeing is that anybody that has the ability to help someone, no matter where they come from, if they're going to follow Jesus, should lay down their own. I get, and I don't even want to say ability, their own advantage for the sake of serving somebody else if they can. And that can come from the most unlikely of places. And yet what we see is that if you are a beneficiary of whiteness, all that that means is not that now you have to go and, and recalibrate everything about everything you've ever learned in <laughs> order to now become woke what we're saying is that like that Samaritan, like Jesus pointed out is that he stopped what he was doing to help the person who was in distress and use the advantage and the ability that they had to go just like, uh, to, to go and help this person and, and paid that tab for, for that room. And, and that's what I think is all across the Bible is mm-hmm. how can I disadvantage myself for the sake of helping someone else out? And so when we're talking about whiteness, if you're a white Christian, you just have to recognize that you have advantages that uh, a lot of black Christians just don't have. And in order for you to give that over to the Lord, um, a lot of that means there's going to be sacrifice in that. And that's that biblically, I don't know how else to say that if you have the ability to help someone, you should. (laughs) That's just something that Christians do. Seems kind of fundamental yeah. to, to our way. I mean, when you look at the scriptures, it's like, say, let's say, let's not call it white privilege. Yeah. Let's just say any benefit, any benefit. you have in life. We don't have to put the white label on it if you don't want to. Um, we think it's helpful if you take into history and different things, but if you don't want to do that, okay, fine. But you are going to run into issues with us if you don't do something with your advantages or benefits. Like when we look at scripture, you see the story of Timothy. Um, basically getting circumcised. He's a Roman, um, had some dual dualistic ways about him, but got circumcised so that he could better love his Jewish counterparts. He didn't have to get circumcised and realize it. If you don't know what circumcision is as an adult, yeah. <laughs> that's giving up a big, yeah. big sacrifice um, to be able to love people well. Jesus um, didn't even consider equality with God something to be lorded over others, but laid it down in order to serve us. And when we talk about Galatians 3 and the Judaizers, um, there's an aspect of even white privilege where we realize that we've kind of whitened up our Christianity. In some ways, we need to unwhiten our Christianity. Um, that's a that's an aspect of white privilege and white normativity. When you go into church and everyone looks like you, everyone sings the same songs that you like, everyone is from the same socioeconomic background, has the same cultural experience as you, that's white normativity, that's white privilege. So for a black person to go into white church, they have to work through all of that just to figure out how to belong. And so for us as, as white people, when we look at Galatians, the Judaizers, in some ways, were adding some Jewish requirements to becoming a Christian. And, and so in the same way, are, have we added some white requirements, some white ways of acting right, some white ways of, of doing worship right, some white ways of preaching, some white ways of interacting that we have now forced 
onto our brothers and sisters in ways that are unbiblical. So do we need to unwhiten our Christianity in some aspects? It doesn't mean the whole thing. Um, and so finally, like if we just want to break it down to the nuts and bolts, or even someone listening to this, I don't know if anyone would if they don't believe in white privilege, or at least in some capacity. But if you are listening and you're like, I just don't see it. I don't have it. I don't buy the passive part and I don't have the active part. So what do you what what do you mean? This isn't this is foolish then. This is just liberal, woke BS. Um, well, the reality is, is that even if you don't have white privilege, you live in the wealthiest nation in the world. And I don't want to assume where you're coming from economically, but you probably have margin. A lot of us have margin and we don't have margin. And maybe it's because of circumstances. Maybe sometimes it's because we're not living a, a, a way to have margin. But Tim Keller talks about those of us who have privilege in society and Americans generally have privilege in relation to the world. And some of us have privilege in relation to other Americans. And he talks about privilege and he refers to a Proverbs. I mean, he says this. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. And so the question then becomes to Christians, are you willing to disadvantage yourself for the sake of others? Regardless if you think it's tied to your whiteness or not, are you willing to give up any privileges, benefits, advantages, money, things that you have that you can lay down for the sake of loving a brother, whether it's a black brother or not, um, you don't have to, again, you don't have to put the race on it, but that might actually be the place you're going to. The, the good Samaritan wasn't just called the good person. They highlighted the racial ethnic differences between them and made sure that you saw that the least likely person was actually helping the privileged person and the privileged people were walking on by. So the question that we can end this with, and Ryan, you can say any thoughts you have is what have you actually given up to follow Jesus? I know a lot of us, you know, we listen to the worship songs and it's, God, I'll give up everything to follow you. Whatever it is, Lord, <laughs> you tell me. I'll leave it all behind and I'll chase after you. What have you actually given up? Sex before marriage? <laughs> and a lot of Christians aren't even doing that. Yeah. So in order to follow Jesus, he says, pick up your cross, your cross, your specified cross, whatever it may be, and follow after me. And we have so many Christians who aren't even willing to acknowledge the existence of possible privileges based on race. And then, two aren't even willing to give anything up to help their brothers and sisters. So again, what have you given up? Ryan, what have we given up? Um, that's a question we have to ask ourselves. So Ryan, do you have any last words on, on white privilege and, and whiteness? White, whiteness? Uh, no. Nice. There's really nothing else to say. Yeah. You know, hit us, hit me in the DMs if you want to talk more. Yeah. <laughs> Not Ryan, hit me. Don't, yeah, don't hit me up in the DMs. <laughs> hit me up. Yeah, hit Colton up. Uh, Ryan, one of, we'll hit this on the episode. One of your friends, uh, Dane, mm-hmm. he came into my DMs and he said, is this the place I'm supposed to argue with you about everything? Because <laughs> I mentioned that in that one episode. <laughs> and I'm like, Proud of you, I, Dane. I love, love this. Love you, man. Because I knew what he was doing. Yeah, this, is, yeah. this is beautiful. Yeah. Um, Just another friendly eight of mine. Yeah. All right. See y'all later.